Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Hey, hey, everyone. I am so excited for you all to hear from today's guest. I had actually never met her before this taping, but I am a longtime fan and she was very patient with me while I fangirled her as soon as she walked into my office. Tignataro has been named one of the 50 best stand-up comics of all time, casual, by Rolling Stone. And she has such an interesting story. Today, we're going to talk about how she got into comedy in the first place, how she found her way to the mic, what it's like to actually bomb a set. Honestly, even talking about it gave me such an immense amount of anxiety. What happened when her stand-up set about having cancer went viral? And by the way, she didn't even know what that meant. Her new love of nutrition and so much more. And bonus, you're in luck because she happens to be touring right now. So enjoy. Here's Tig Notaro. I'm very excited that you're here today, as I've just admitted, because I've had like a bit of a of a fangirl moment, and you're being very patient with me, and I appreciate you. <laughs> um, you are just hands down one of my favorite comedians, and I'm excited to talk about all the things today. Well, great. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. I hope I uh, don't let you down. Well, if you do, get out. Yeah. I'm off the clock, so... I might not be hilarious. Well, that's fair. You can't be on all the time. No, I really can't. You got to recharge the battery sometimes. For sure. Do you ever have that when, and I would imagine when you're on tour, like you know that people are looking for you in cities that you're visiting and performing in. Do you ever have that moment where like, you know that there's a run-in coming and you're like, oh, I just don't have it right now. Oh God. Yeah. But I feel like when I tour... I'm uh, there's only a very small window where somebody could catch me ah. because I show up 
and I'm not exaggerating, less than five minutes before I walk on stage. No. Yeah. And then as soon as I say thank you and good night, I'm nowhere to be found. And I am brushing my teeth about 10 minutes later in wow. my hotel room. Oh, you have it down to a system. Oh, yeah. And then in the morning, I um, scope out all the different plant-based restaurants mm. in the area. And then I make my selection. And one of them gets a quick uh, visit from me to go. And then I'm in the car to the next town or to the airport. Right. So I'm not really out and about. Mm. But um, if you are in the alley that I'm walking into to get into my car or going into the restaurant to get you know to try the local plant-based meal right then uh i'll probably run into you for a few minutes cool yeah all right a system yeah i like it yeah so i always like to go a little bit backwards with people because you know people listening who have seen your work know you now Mm -hmm. i'm i'm always really curious about who people were as kids yeah and maybe that's because i have this feeling of perspective now where I see how the dots connect and I'm like, ah, yeah, if I look at my life, I get how I wound up here. Mm -hmm. So I know that you were born in Mississippi and you were raised in Texas. Mm -hmm. What were you like this when you were five, eight, 10? You know, what was, what was childhood for you? Well, I mean, I, I certainly am not as, uh, I mean, I have, an introverted shy side of myself that was present as a child as well. But it's kind of the same now where if I know somebody or I'm comfortable, I'm completely fine. And I'm not great in crowds. I was never Mm. great in crowds. But I also liked the attention of being a class clown. Mm. And I feel like the more that I've had the opportunity to perform as a comedian... I've lost the need to perform socially. You know, I get a lot of, uh, from strangers that don't know me of, really, you're a comedian, <laughs> you know, because uh, it, it's not, it's not my go-to, where, whereas mm-hmm. before I was doing stand-up, I very much presented myself as the funny person, but I got my fill, I think, that's so interesting. Yeah. Because you get rewarded for it. Like you get the audience reaction, you get the laughter. Yeah. You get the charge. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to me that getting it for you doesn't make you want more of it a- a- elsewhere when like when you're off stage. Yeah, I think I mean, I it's not that I don't have fun or joke around or whatever, but it's not my go-to, which was my go-to was mm-hmm. when I You know, what I I feel like I have maintained since my childhood is um, I've identified as cool, you know, and I still kind of can't shake that where I'm like, I'm cool. That's my (laughs) thing. I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I also lose my cool just as I did as a kid. And it's even, it's it's a further fall when you identify as cool. You know, and then you lose your cool in whatever way. It's a really long drop. 
and it's painful, you know, because you walk in and you're like, I'm the Fonz, I'm cool, and then you, oops, you're not, you do something that's not cool, and then it's, you know, I'm not saying I don't enjoy those moments as well, because it's fun to to fall and feel human and (laughs) and be like, oh, wow, that was a... an embarrassing misunderstanding or that was uh, not quite what I was aiming for. But, yeah, I certainly enjoy the the humor in moments and, and making people laugh and mm. all of that stuff. But I also, I think, you know, when people see you as the funny person, there can be a lot of pressure for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, you know, I used to always paint a picture of going to a party and on the way seeing it, this didn't happen, but you see an accident, you see people die in a car accident and you get to the party and you're like, Oh my God, I just, I saw an accident. People are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then what happened? You know, they're expecting the punchline. You're like, no, 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 that people died. And there was, and they're like, uh-huh. How many people died? And they're like, something's coming. Yeah. And you're like, no, they're, you're like, so, I'm actually traumatized. Yeah. That's what's yeah. coming. So trying to find the, I think just being a, a public figure that is known to be funny, people can approach me with the um, that pressure of uh, they want something funny. They mm-hmm. want a funny interaction. It's a really quick example was um, I was test driving cars a few days ago, and I asked the guy if there were vegan seed options, and he he recognized me, and he started laughing so hard. He goes, man, I can see how that would be really fun hanging out with you. And I was, I was like, no. I, and I turned to my wife, and I said, he, he thought I was joking. I was, I'm really curious if there's vegan seed options. It's possible. There's right. vegan clothing. There's, you know, but he thought I was being hilarious. Yeah. But I just let him think that I was joking and moved on. Yeah. Clearly there wasn't by his reaction. Of course. So You're like, there's your zinger, sir. Yeah. I will Google this question later. Yeah, right. I'll anonymously call and ask somebody else. Yeah, who can't see my face. <laughs> right, right. I feel that. I do. I think it's really interesting, though, the, the distinction, because you said, of course, you love to, like, have a good time, and you have a, obviously have a sense of humor. You do this for a living. But the the delineation between having your humor be like your device, mm-hmm. like your go-to, your way to do the thing in the room, mm-hmm. and then doing it so well or in a way that's so fulfilling in your career, alleviating that. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people who are creative struggle to find that. And I think that that's very, that's very cool. They struggle to find something that will take that kind of need yeah like where they can kind of turn it off or or not want to continuously do the thing that gets the positive reaction i have a, I have a, a, a buddy who's a comedian and and he struggled with that for a really long time so i just i find it really fascinating struggled and, in that he continued needing it and wanting it yeah and- like he just couldn't turn it off. Like every opportunity with another person was an opportunity to like test a joke or prove how funny he was. And there was like a while where he was a real nightmare to be around. Um, (laughs) I say that with love. Uh, But I, 
I I wonder, was there a point that that you observed when that started changing or or when you when things were hitting a point in your career where you were like, oh, yeah, I can just I can leave that at work? I, I'm sure just comes with more success a lot of times mm. because more people know you, more interactions are like that. Mm. You know, every face, not every face. I'm clearly not Oprah Winfrey famous. Every face doesn't recognize my face, but the faces that do recognize me become more calm, you know, more frequent. And sure. I'm met with like this smirk of like, what is she going to do? What is she going to say? Or the, it's right. met with people telling me what they think is a very funny story or the wacky thing that happened to them that day. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm just picking out tomatoes right. or I'm just flying or I'm very tired. I didn't sleep or I'm not needing every interaction to be the craziest, wackiest, funniest thing in the world. Right. And so I think it, it just, when you're more anonymous, fewer interactions are like that. And then it it becomes more frequent the more people that recognize you. Yeah. And so. And that's interesting. It's dawning on me as you say that, that each of those people has the one moment with you where they go, oh, I'm going to have this moment with her and it's going to be so fucking great. Ah." And you're like, oh, but the lady in the macaroni aisle just did this to me too, man. Yeah. I just want to go home. Yeah. It's just, it's, and I do know I am their interaction with me is the one interaction with me. Mm. Whereas they are one of several people that have stopped me to tell me the funniest story that they had, or they're needing a bigger reaction from me. It's just an interesting thing being a comedian, you know, and some, like you said, some comedians, they enjoy it. Your friend can't get enough and love to do bits or, and I, I think that's, I don't think one is good, bad, better than the other. It's different personalities. But my 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 wife noticed. Um, there's this friend of mine. There's a comedian in the comedy world, and he's married to a woman that you would never in a million years think. Oh, you know what? I bet Tig would really hit it off with this woman, and she and I are at this, because we're in the comedy world, we're at a lot of events at the same time. Mm. She is just not who you would imagine that I would be in a corner every time blabbing and laughing with. Mm. And and Stephanie pointed out, my wife, her name's Stephanie, and she said, um, you know what it is about her? She said, I know why you like her, and I know why she likes you. And she said, and... and and I really enjoy her. Mm. And it's because there's not a second of small talk that comes out of her mouth. Mm. She's immediately down to expose everything about herself, her life, what's going on. And she's going to tell you honestly. Mm. And she can come across as like gossipy or she has that vibe of like, come here. Oh, my God. You're not going to believe what. Did you hear? Yeah. Yeah. There's layers of that as well. Yeah. But she talks about herself and her dynamics with her husband and her mm. the kid and the parents and the mother-in-law and the the job and this party and this person and you're getting real information. Yeah. 
and I'm not having to stand there and make her laugh. I'm not having to stand there and go, um, yeah, the, the, um, the hors d'oeuvres are nice. And that we would never even, we would assume the hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres are nice because we're shoving them in our faces. Right. We're not even going to talk about that. Yeah. It's down to, there's no small talk out of her mouth. God, I love that. It's really incredible. And I thought it was very insightful on Stephanie's part. Yeah. Because she said, that's who you, you, it charges you. And I, I can see it happen. Mm. And I'm like, God, that's so true. Because if somebody would have pointed her out at a party, in fact, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see her at, a, at an event tonight. Mm. And I'm going to tell her Stephanie's insight. Yeah. Because Stephanie... And Stephanie experienced it with her when Stephanie talked about her own sexuality and shared the different experiences and awakenings she had. And, mm -hmm. and she was like, let me tell you about mine. And she got down to it. There was no editing. There was no – everything is up for discussion. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's those it's, are my favorite kind of people. Yeah, it's the best. We literally had a conversation this morning about this, and mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know how to small talk. I can't. I can't like at the it. party, I have to have someone to stand in the corner with because mm -hmm. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I'm like, do you want to talk about trauma? Do you want to yeah. talk about the election? Yeah, Shall yeah. we talk about space? I love NASA. Right. What do you want to talk about? And people right. are like, you're so fucking weird. Yeah. So I love. I that is such a cool observation, and what a beautiful way. For your wife to see you, mm -hmm. I loved it because I was I was always a little baffled by my connection with her. Right with with um, not it's not baffled. She's very charming. She's very you know bubbly, funny. But yeah. there's something there's something where you wouldn't go. Mm, I bet the two of those would really connect. I have a thought about mm. what that might be mm -hmm. because in my experience. The majority of people who I meet who go, well, have you heard? Mm -hmm. Follow it with something that is not that nice about other people. Mm -hmm. And those are not people I want to hang around with. Right. But if you've got someone who's like, did you know what's going on? And it made me think about this crazy fucking thing. And remember mm -hmm. when that thing happened to you? And and suddenly you're in. Or here's my experience yeah. with this. And here's the different layers of that. And and I don't mean to go go on about some woman that I connect with that's not my wife. And it's nothing like that where yeah. there's an attraction of any sort. But even last night she texted me. She was like, hey, I'm at Largo if, you, if you're out and about and you want to swing by. And I was going to a show, but I kind of laughed to myself. Like if I was driving by, I would have pulled over and gone and hung out with her. Yeah. You know, because I know we're going to sit down and, and we're going to get, into, get it. into it. Yeah. We're going to get into something. Yeah. So it's, it's, anyway, that's what I'm looking for with a connection, but I'm mm. also not really wandering around the world feeling disconnected. Mm. I have very nice connections, whether it's, yeah. I mean, I have a wonderful connection with my wife. We certainly have our ups and downs, but I have very nice, um, connections with family and friends of decades and and comedians and whatever to mm. my next door neighbors but anyway uh blah 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 <laughs> blah 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 i like it 
So when you talk about what was similar then and now in sort of you growing up and and you touch on your kind of friend family from comedy, which I want to get into. Did my you what? your like friend family mm-hmm. from comedy? Mm-hmm. Um, I call all my like my collected people. I'm like my family. Yeah, you know, like because yeah, yeah. they just they are. I, I wonder, sort of in the interim, like on your way to here where we meet, did you know you wanted to be a comedian as a kid? I mean, I was very drawn to comedy, stand up, mm-hmm. SNL, I Love Lucy, All in the Family, yeah, Sanford and Son, whatever, however comedy presented itself. My mother was funny, my father was, I was a class clown, all of that. But I didn't, I had a stepfather that didn't really um, encourage anything outside of go to school and go to college, get a job. And um, I didn't know that it was an option for me out there. And I remember in sixth grade, I was playing on the street with a friend. And my my friend told me, my mom thinks you could be a comedian. And I remember it electrified me. I was, uh, uh, she did. She. I mean, everyone told me I was funny, but that there was some legitimacy with my friend Dana's mother saying, Tig could be a comedian. And uh, I was like, oh, wow. And to this day, Dana and her mother come to my shows when I'm in Texas. And, oh, that's so cool. And she and I've reminded Dana that that was one of those huge moments as a kid that your mother said that. And I remember also the Billy Joel song, My Life. There's a line where he says, uh, sold the shop or close the shop, sold the house. I don't know what the words are. Moved out to the West Coast and give stand-up routine in LA and I would hear that song it would electrify me just I was so oh I loved it but I just I was like I that's for other people that are special or that and I just didn't I didn't see how that would ever cross my desk in Texas or Mississippi or any of that yeah so yeah it was kind of a far-off dream but I I really didn't think I was also very into music, but I could put the pieces together with that. You get a guitar, you put a band together, you play in your garage, you mm. put a, a a tape together and you send it to a record label and you get signed or you don't. I get it. You're on the radio or you're not. A comedian, I'd watch HBO and somebody I'd never heard of would walk out on stage in front of a sold-out theater of 3,000 people. And I was like, who is this? And how did all those people know to go there? Yeah. I didn't, couldn't, where's the connection? How do you, that seemed like you become president of the United States. Where's it? What? I don't understand the steps. How yeah. do I walk out on that stage? I don't know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't get it. I couldn't, I couldn't place anything that, I couldn't piece anything together. Yeah, it does seem so strange. Yeah. To imagine that a person could just do that. Well, yeah, you don't understand how the industry works of, oh, they got a deal they're out doing open mics or they have uh, mm-hmm. this. They, they're getting on stage at the comedy store or the improv and their rep got them a special and then they hired right. an audience to fill the theater. They, you, you don't, you're just at home in Texas going, who's Paula Poundstone? <laughs> I mean, I you know, bought all her albums and went to all her concerts later. But in the t- at the time, yeah. where are people hearing this comedian? And how is she packing 3,000 people into this theater? 
Yeah. Well, I guess I'll never, ever be able to do that. So I'm still not sure city to city if I can pack those theaters. But uh, come on out, folks. I get that with like every single time. I, and I get it a lot when I get a new job. Mm-hmm. So like my first day on a movie, first day on a new TV set, I look around and I'm like, is this going to be the one where somebody tells me I have no fucking idea what I'm doing? <laughs> right. Like, is this going to be it? Is yeah. this? And after all these years, you think I'd get over it and yeah. just go to work without like the first day of school panic dream. Yeah. But I have it every time. Yeah. See, I just show up and I tell everyone right away that I have no idea what I'm doing. Yes. Rather than waiting for the news to come to me. Mm-hmm. You just get ahead of it. Well, I always say that as soon as I see a director walking towards me, I always say, hold on one second. Before you say anything, just know I have no range. But go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's a, good, that's a good move. Well, especially for somebody with no range. Perfect. But, uh, yeah. You're like, let me just tell you something about myself. Let me tell you something. I like that plan. Probably can't address your note, but go ahead and knock yourself out. Fabulous. Did you, you talked about your your mom and, and your eventual stepdad. Like, was was her, because obviously I, I have like pages of prep here for everyone who can't see me sitting here with my notes spread across my lap, like the nerdy college note taker that I was and still am. But I, I'm curious, like, because I I did so much reading and I loved, I loved reading about the way that you've talked about your mom and like the ways in which she was like wild and funny and, you know, this sort of like, I don't know if the word is zany, that that's a word I like to describe like really sort of creative humans, like this woman who painted on the wall, the out, the exterior yeah. walls of your house. Yeah. Did, do you think that you learned about comedy from her? Oh yeah. She was my biggest teacher. I mean, my I got off stage one night, and my mother's one of her very close, close friends, who's my, one of my very close childhood friend's mother. Mm. I got off stage, and she just said, you know, that's all. She's Cajun. She's like, that's all from your mom. You know, that's, that, you know, that's who that's from, Aww. you know. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I, yeah. I'm fully aware. But my stepfather, he's funny in his own clever way. And he's a more buttoned up, clever. Like drier humor. Very dry. Mm. Yeah. My mother, my father, my stepfather. We were, and then my whole family in Mississippi, they're all just such gregarious characters. It's so hard to explain. And my wife never met my mother, but Mm. when she's around my family out there, I always say just being around them. Their essence, which Stephanie loves, she's just always like, I love these people, you know, because <laughs> it's just everyone's in, everyone's included, everyone's part of the family, everyone's up to party all night, everyone is, it, there's, it's just, and and everyone's talking, uh, whenever I see a movie or TV show and I, I can feel the direction where it's like clanky, everyone's talking and they're trying to make it messy, and it feels very directed to me. Yeah. I feel like they're tr- they wish it looked like my family in Mississippi sitting at a t- it's it's just so everybody's ribbing each other yeah. and and laughing and but I always say, you know, that essence that's my mother. It's the closest I can say that would have been like if you met my mother. Mm. That just just she's just in the middle of it all, you know, and everyone's 
teasing each other and loving each other and uh, but I mean she was very complicated and and it was rough it wasn't all Mm. just like oh fun my mother was beautiful she was stylish she was funny she was athletic she was a dancer a painter hilarious and but she just wasn't there were some kids parents that were like I don't know if they can you know Hang after school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is what is the complicated look like? Like if, if I mean the complicated looks like sometimes I didn't know where my mother was. Um sometimes my mother drank too much. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we had a heroin addict that visited us from England that overdosed on our floor. Skinny dipping with who are these people? Right. You know, like it, it just what? Like, what is going on around here? Yeah. What, yeah. what, what, who? I was having this conversation the other day. A, a friend of mine is a beautiful musician. And we were talking about sort of swings as far as, rather than contentedness, like happiness and sorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and we were sort of positing this idea whereby to be a creative, to be an observer, to tell stories about people, to connect with people, you have to lay it all out there, right? Like you got to crack your heart open for some of this stuff. Yeah. And it enables like big joy, like the kind of joy that I see on your face when you talk about your mom. Like you look like somebody just dumped glitter on your head. You're yeah. like sparkly. Yeah. And and to get big joy, if you think about, I get nerdy and I'm like physics, like a metronome. Mm-hmm. If if you swing this far in this direction, you're going to swing this far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So I think about it like if contentedness, if simple contentedness is like going to a plus five to a minus five, but like ecstatic joy is a 90 in one direction, mm-hmm. you're going to get 90 in the other direction too. Yeah. But like, look at the breadth of life you get in there. Like, do you do you feel like you got that big swing with her uh, uh yes i do i know for a fact I did. cool um and i think about it a lot actually with my children because you know my mother didn't really alter her life in any way as a parent mm-hmm. she continued to do what she did and then there were kids and sometimes what she did was fun, which was climb a tree or climb up on the rooftop of our house and kick whatever balls or toys of ours were down there. And it became a game of, you know, um, my mother took risks. You know, mm-hmm. she um, one of the stories I always tell is my friend that came over to visit was going home and my mother drove me and my friend to my friend's house on the hood of her car through the neighborhood. Of course, not at 40 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. but she thought that's fun and funny. She's like, get on the hood. I'll drive you home. And we were, you know, my mother going to a restaurant drive-through to get food. She'd go in reverse so that I could, my face could pop up and order the food, you know, just she was wild and funny and, and, and shocking and took chances. And Sometimes it was fun in that way, and mm-hmm. other times it was it was like, oh, <laughs> we're walking an edge here right. of um, where's my mother right. or what's going on, and not feeling safe. And I feel like 
that sort of upbringing, I am the other side of that where I have fun and I want to plan cool things and trips and but I'm I'm reeling it in where I want mm. these little cubs in my house to feel safe and and I often am am thinking am I am I going to be raising boring vanilla kids that just were so safe and loved and cared <laughs> for but I think they are safe and cared for but they're not vanilla yeah. But I do, I mean, I guess, you know, I can offer them wild moments in life through travel and the personalities mm -hmm. that we bring into our home and the experiences. I guess you don't have to be on a rooftop or stuck in a tree or on the hood of a car right. that's moving to get. That feels fair. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can rein the boundaries in in certain ways and still offer them like this creative expression and joy and silliness and oh yeah, yeah yeah and they they have it yeah tenfold my my wife and i she's a comedian actress writer all of those things and and they're they're surrounded by creative people with senses of humor and yeah and they they're interesting funny little people. And that was always just my hope was, I remember always people that were maybe doing IVF or getting some sort of donor for looking into donors or their kids. And they'd, oh, I want him to be tall and handsome. And, and I always thought, you know what I want? I want anybody if they're at a party or something, to say, oh, my gosh, have you talked to Tig's kid? You have to go. Go talk to yeah. that kid. I want somebody to walk away and go, oh, my God, go talk to that kid. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't, the tall, beautiful, I mean, just by chance, my kids are tall and beautiful. But um, Could you just win in the genetic lottery? <laughs> They kind of did, but yeah, they're they're interesting, funny little people. That's I always so say cool. I live in a house full of writers, people that write my material for me. Love that. Yeah, that's so cool. So, God, when you think about like where where life is now, and all the sort of ingredients in the special sauce, there was something you said earlier that that I do find really interesting. How how you'd be home, you were home. You know, watching Paula Poundstone, for example, being like, how the fuck, what's going on here? Yeah. What What was the bridge for you? Like, when when did you leave Texas to come to L.A.? How did you start? Because there are, I would imagine, so many people listening who've watched your special and be like, but how did she do that? I did it in a very um, roundabout way, and it was accidental, because I feel like I wasn't, my mother was an artist and nurtured that side of me, but my stepfather kind of overruled and, and it was, there was a rule book. Yeah. And that's something maybe you do as a child, you, you color, you draw, you play music, but now you're an adult and where, what's your job? What are you going to study? So my love for music turned from, I play guitar and drums. I'm nothing special with it, but I, I love music and I play it. 
And I thought, well, I'll get into the business side of it. So I started working in the business side of music and um, working for record labels and bands and whatever. And my close friends that I've known since I was a kid, they were moving out here. We had moved around together. I was following their educational trajectory, but I wasn't going to school. I was just, oh, we're moving to Austin now? Oh, okay, you're going to grad school in Denver? Great, let's go. Oh, okay, you're going to go to Hollywood, become a producer? Cool. I'm sure I can find something to do. And what were you doing at all these stops? I was, you know, working odd jobs, working in the music business. I'd work okay. for a label or something, promoting bands. Mm. And and then um, I got out to L.A. and opened the L.A. Weekly, and I saw all of the options for stand-up. And that it was in coffee shops, it was in bars, it was in laundromats, it was in some comedy clubs. But, I mean, it was in every weird place you could walk into. And I I said, oh, my gosh, I, I want to go see some comedy shows. And so my friend went with me every night for two weeks to see open mics and regular comedy shows. And I, and I said... I feel like I could do this. Mm. And so I gave myself that two-week window to go check out the whole scene. I mean, the majority of it, and get a feel. Yeah. And then I um, I made myself do stand-up, do an open mic after two weeks. And I was, I haven't stopped since. How was the first one? The first one was deceivingly good. No. I feel like my stomach would fall out of my ass if I had to get up. And I love comedy. I don't know. I like it feels so scary to me. Yeah. I it went well in that I I had been home in my apartment talking to myself in a mirror for 2 weeks and writing my material and I didn't mm-hmm. account for laughs, which was the funniest part because I was silently talking to myself in my studio apartment. And then when I was on stage at this coffee shop and I got laughs, I, I looked around. Shot. I, I, I was. I remember thinking, "Oh, right, that's what I'm doing this for." But I forgot because I was talking to myself for Hello. two weeks. So it went well. And then the following night, I signed up for a competition because I really was feeling cocky. I thought, "Well, this is the easiest thing in the world." And then I, um, I bombed. And I ran off stage in the in middle. In the competition. Mm-hmm. So what is that experience like? Because I'm guessing most people who are listening have never done comedy. What What is it like to bomb? What do you do? It's What's happening up there? It is so unsettling. And it's, it is the beginning. I mean, that was the two, my first two times doing stand-up. Doing well at the coffee shop and then bombing at the competition. <sighs> I, we were competing for one hundred dollars, hey. and um, I couldn't have had two more perfect stand-up moments because it's the 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 other side of of each other of of doing well and bombing that keeps you going, and it mm. it's that gambling, it's that addiction, it's that unhealthy relationship with somebody. You can get it back again. You can do it again. I saw myself do it. I can I can win the jackpot. I can get my girlfriend back. I can, I can, you know, you're chasing that thing. And I, and I think that, I don't know, I I don't, I'm not a big drinker. I don't do drugs. I don't, 
I I don't have a lot of those. I don't gamble. I don't. Yeah. I'm. I always say, I'm not really up to anything. You can check in on me. I'm not, I'm not up to anything. <laughs> but um, that drive is there, and that like it's chasing that. I could get it back. I could mm-hmm. do it again. And you do it again, and you're high, and then you. You hit your low and you want to get it back again. Whether you've been off stage a while or you bombed, you hit that low of, I got to, or it, but also, I mean, woven in there is you have to have something to say and a point of view and you, you feel driven by, I, I, oh, there's something I, I really want to share with people. I find that really interesting when, when you think about what you want to say as you start writing, Mm -hmm. where does it come from? Like, where does, do you get like a little... It like does something just kind of get in and under your skin and and you can't stop thinking about it and then you decide you want to write a bit about it like where does it come from for you? You know, I always think it's amusing when I'm at a a dinner with people and the attention is on me where everybody will say, "Whoa, we better be careful." There's a comedian at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, careful oh, what you say. She's going to use us in her show, <laughs> and I always roll my eyes, thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is." No. I mean, it would have, it's so, I don't think it's ever come from something like that. It's just an extra sense that you develop. I mean, when you're in the beginning of your career, you are taking the stankiest material on stage because you don't, you haven't honed in on your style and you don't Mm. know what your point of view is. And you, so you're just bringing all of these bombs on stage and trying them out and and it's just terrible. (laughs) And then when you, when you start to develop your, your sense of humor, Mm. you really can just, I, for myself, I mean, of course that's the only person I can speak about. I'm on, not, I don't want to say in a depressing way of autopilot through life, but I just mean I'm just living my life and my sense of humor. It's, it's like asking, how do you know when something is sad? Mm. How do you know when something makes you happy? It just, it it hits you and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, I feel, I'm so excited or, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. That made me so sad. Mm. Comedy, hit you like that yeah and then you take it on stage and you can either find the angle to convey what you saw or felt or think or you can't um I have I have material that it's amused me and I've never been able to get it to translate on stage or I have something that was mildly amusing and then I started closing my show with it night after night because I wanted to make it strong. And so I started to rely on the the weak bit or the thing I really loved, mm. and I just would close on it. And and it would help build it to this this place, you know. Oh. It just it it it's a it's a muscle, and it's a mm. I, don't, I don't know, but I certainly don't walk around um, in search of comedy, right? It, I think, has to hit you as authentically as joy and pain. Yeah. Are you, a, in your practice, are you a person who sets aside certain hours of the day to God, write? No. Or I don't write. You don't? No. You don't, like, keep a notes file on your phone? If I leave here and I die today, nobody will find the lost writings of Tignotaro. Damn. Yeah. 
it, I write on stage. I go on stage. What the most that anybody would find is a list of words. And those words just spark the feeling or the memory of uh, an experience, a story. But yeah, you would find a list that would say tube socks or Reese Witherspoon or um, twins or something that happened. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, that, that. I'll tell that story. I'm fascinated. But I, a lot of people, I did a show last night and one of the comedians, they were saying, oh, okay, you could do 10 to 15 minutes. Is that cool? And I said, yeah, I'll have to move some things around in my head. And this comedian goes, oh, that's right. You don't write anything down. And I said, no. And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, people do it differently. Differently. Yeah. yeah. So what have you found? Because you referenced it a bit earlier in, in your community that I imagine you've built a pretty rad community in all these years in comedy. What is, what is that like to be among, you know, this group of people who are all in your, in your space? Is it, is it like a wonderfully supportive troop of humans for the most part? Yeah. I, I think that, um, comedians are kind of known as, um, competitive and all for themselves or insincere and mm. and I sure I feel like it's everywhere though but I I don't feel like I've really stumbled upon too much of that mm. and I have made really tremendous friends over the years and then and then the reality is I feel like I've kind of fell out of the the scene mm. a bit just after starting a family and and I really do have children that wake up at three and four in the morning Ooh. and um and it's hard to have the drive to want to go sit in a comedy club and just be in that world mm -hmm. any world really after nine PM. That feels fair if you're waking up at three AM. Yeah, it's it's hard, but I I also really am enjoying this shift in my life mm -hmm. just as much as I enjoyed that shift that started my comedy community world career. Yeah. But I I still am out working on my material and I'm still touring. I'm just not um I have lasting friendships from that world, but I wouldn't say that I walk into comedy clubs and I'm I'm part of the back table gaggle of people, you mm -hmm. know. Stages though. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But then there are some comedians mm -hmm. that do start a family and they still show up and they're in the back table of whatever comedy club. Right. And that's that's their world. That's right. what makes sense to them. For me, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I have Stephanie and these kids and this fat cat at my house i don't know <laughs> why i would go any place else yeah. i really don't i really don't it's like okay i have to go make some money i'll go do that but i will be right back don't go anywhere yeah you're like you that fat cat stays in that sunspot yes she does does she do that my oh dog my does that oh my and just before i came here stephanie and i were sitting on the couch talking and i looked over and our cat was 
just lying in front of the fireplace. And I pointed and interrupted Stephanie by pointing at her. And I was like, that, that's really happening right now. A postcard just <laughs> happened in our house. Yeah. Go ahead. Like, what is that? Yeah. 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 I love when that But happens. I'm not trying to create the perfect Instagram life either. Right. Good Lord. Good Lord is time? life all over the place. Yeah. With I kids think. and marriage and health and work and relationship mm-hmm. other outside relationships it's it's a mess it's a lot to juggle it is a lot i feel like a i feel like a sideshow act a lot just trying to not drop a ball and then drop them all oh my it's i always say just being alive just being one person alive breathing in and out that is that's full time yeah and then you add a spouse you add a career you add twin toddlers, a cat that if we leave the house for too long, follows us around yelling at us, yelling at us. <laughs> and then you have family. Mm-hmm. You try and maintain a social life. Mm-hmm. Then maybe you have health issues or you don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Jenga. I guess that's that that game, right? Where yeah. You balance the stuff. Yeah. Good Lord. It's a lot. It's a lot. But it's it's awesome. I have, you know, I'm set up. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You mentioned health stuff, mm-hmm. and I know, because I, I, I read a bit about you talking about how when your Largo set went viral and it really, like, launched your comedy career to the next level or a new level. I don't know how you would put it. Mm -hmm. Um, This was after you'd lost your mom Mm -hmm. and you were really sick. You'd just been diagnosed with cancer. You did this big show. Mm -hmm. What's it like to get up on stage and do what you do in that moment of your life and, and just be there with an audience and say like, this is what's happening. What, what, I'm curious about that experience and, and, and about how that larger experience with health has kind of impacted all of this for you. Well, I mean, I was being hit repeatedly with – I had three potentially deadly illnesses at one time. I had pneumonia. I had an intestinal infection or a disease that was eating my insides. I had invasive cancer. My girlfriend and I split up. My mother – tripped, hit her head and died. It was all in four months. And so when I did that set, it was days after I got diagnosed with cancer. And that was the final piece to everything in 2012. And I had this show that was already booked before I got that news. So when I went on stage, my head was in a place that it had it, it was very out of body and i also felt like i had nothing to lose and i just didn't care it was a whole different level that i had reached and i just love stand up and i wanted to perform again but i also couldn't bring myself to do material i had done previously and i mm-hmm. and it was that kind of part of me where I needed to really have a conversation and I needed to really connect. And I 
put it on that audience that night. And I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know if they were going to read things correctly, if they were going to think I was kidding, if they... And so when I had nothing to lose, I also just felt like if it doesn't go well, then that's even hilarious too, that Mm -hmm. maybe I'll die soon and my last gig will have been the biggest bomb in the world. And, and then that's it, you know, like how hilarious. Um, but I just, I was up for anything and it's, you know, tying into my mother. She took a lot of risks, good or bad. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's in my blood. It's in my bones. And every time I've taken a huge risk in my life, it's paid off, paid out tenfold. Mm. And the connection I made with that audience, every now and then I still run into somebody that w- there, where they say, oh, I was in that audience that night. And um, I feel like I've only met a few of them face to face, but I feel like oh, we went through it. Yeah. They're so special to me because they really met me right where I was mm. and they allowed the moment to be real in that they didn't know it was happening. There was awkward laughter. There was real hard laughter. There was crying. There was Mm. stunned silence. People were just really feeling what they were feeling. And then I just, uh, I remember thinking, God, this is actually going okay, you know, this Mm. set. And then I walked off stage and, I, I thought that was the end of it. I wasn't on social media. I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't understand things going. V- I can't explain. I've come a long way since then, but I really, I would date people that were on Twitter or Instagram and or have friends, and I never even looked to see what that was. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not on that, whatever it is. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. And so when people were like, oh, yeah, it's all over Twitter. It's all, and I was, I didn't even know what that really meant. Right. I just woke up the next day with book deal offers. Whoa. With movie. I was, my mailbox was full. I had hundreds of emails. And I'd been up so late until like five in the morning because my friends who I moved here with, we went out to swingers and we were sitting there and we were talking about the set. Yeah. I was like, God, I can't believe I just shared all that. I was like, yeah, up all night. Went to bed, woke up. I was like, what the hell? Who died? I mean, it was the craziest thing. I felt like a great-great-grandmother that went viral. I was like, what? Who? What is this? What's happening? Yeah, what is How did they hear? (laughs) I truly was how did all these people find out? I didn't know people were tweeting and blogging and writing. I I was just asleep in my bed. I had no idea. Feeling like you'd been... Like a free rebel the night before. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. There were five comedians on that show. They were all tweeting, telling people. And I was just like, oh. night, night. <laughs> you know, it was very bizarre. Wow. Yeah. What a trip that must have been. Yes, indeed. I mean, amazing things come with that, obviously. But y- you've also talked about how it was pretty stressful because everybody kept asking, like, what are you going to do? And what's your comedy? And yeah. who essentially, like, who are you? How will you define yourself now? Mm-hmm. How did you make sense of all of that and manage an inbox and book offers and all this shit and your own health? Like, what happens next? 
Well, I um, there's definitely a lot of stress to it, and I remember I I carried that stress for a while. Hmm. But there was a show I did in Iowa, in Iowa City. I remember I was about to go on stage, and I was so scared because I was at a different place months later. I don't know how many months after my diagnosis and mm. my set went viral and all that. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, this theater is packed full of people that know me from having cancer and from being so down and out. Mm. And I'm not there, and, and my material is different. What if... Uh, uh, I was so paralyzed by that. But I just oh. also had this moment of... Oh, well, you know, if this is, if the thread is this, if it's this fragile, then I always think about that. Then I don't, then my place isn't secure here. Then it's fine. Then it, then it makes sense that the tie is cut and that it falls apart. Then I'm not wow. here securely. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to go out and if, if cancer and the death of my mother drew them to me, then if they're not just amused by me or happy to see me or interested in what my new material is, and they don't really, they're not really into me. Hmm. And they were one of the best audiences, and I'll never forget that performance, and I'm always grateful for <laughs> Iowa City. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. Was it, would you say it was that performance, or was it other stuff going on behind the scenes too that helped you kind of mitigate you know, uh, an album being at number one and confidence feeling low. Like there's, it's such a weird thing when you're, you're, there's all this success and to your point, you have all the stress you're carrying. Like, well, yeah. And my, my, my health was, nothing was real secure. I was at the top and the bottom at the same time. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> I don't know how I got through it. When I, when I think back, it you know not to be cliche but it really is just a matter of time of getting through things mm -hmm. and when people always ask me advice i always unfortunately only have the advice to breathe in and out because mm -hmm. i was at such a basic base place in life that i would really think a lot about my breath and i would think i'm alive i'm i'm here <sighs> you know, and that would get me through the big and the little and the the stuff that did or didn't matter. It just, because I really felt like I was pushed to an edge where I saw something and mm -hmm. I was yanked back and I'm back and I'm breathing and this is the only thing I can do. Take yeah. a step. Take another step. Mm. And it's so basic. Mm. Just take a tiny step. Keep moving. Mm. Not in a way of denial of like, yeah, just keep moving forward. Just go. Press on. Push through. I don't mean that. I just mean just get up and take a breath and mm. brush your teeth and... <laughs> Get your day started and yeah. 
that. <laughs> there's like there's such a gentleness when you talk about it that way. Yeah, it 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 was. It was I I had to not overwhelm myself. Mm. I had to not think too much beyond am I here? Yep. I'm alive. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go brush my teeth. Mm. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Mm. And I'm going to do a show or I'm not going to do a show or mm. I just had to kind of take it moment to moment. Mm-hmm. I like that because so many people, to your point, are encouraged to like keep going, do the thing, you'll be fine. And it's important to acknowledge that we don't always know and that we're allowed to feel not okay and and that illness or a family crisis or anything like this is scary and it's okay to slow down absolutely to move through that mhm so for folks listening you're you're in great health now <laughs> i am which i am is i've had i've had a i've had a run of uh it's been six hospitalizations in the past 7 years Ooh. but i'm i would say since uh the past 4 months I've been doing well, okay. really well. Good. Yeah, really well. I feel more in tune with my health and body than even a year ago. What do you think took you there? To more in tune? Yeah. Uh, because I had, I had other health issues and complications mm-hmm. in July that I am shocked which I shouldn't be because I'm human, but I I needed another reminder of like, oh my gosh, I life is so it's embarrassing to say, fragile. Of course it's fragile, but mm-hmm. I mean uh, it's a, it's a whole other discussion, but sure. I'm healthier and I I've been in chronic pain for years. I'm out of that. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could go on tour and tell everyone eat right. Make sure you get all your vitamins and minerals, uh, brush your teeth, mm-hmm. take care of your body. Not that I didn't take care of my body, yeah. but like really exercise, eat well. T- I mean, like really, I mean, really, especially raising kids. I'm, yeah. I'm like, get your molars, get your, you know, you <laughs> want to make sure your teeth, you don't want to be uncomfortable as you get older. Right. You don't want to, but the, you can't learn that until you experience it and you go, Ugh. I want to get away from that pain or I want to get I want to get as far away from being unhealthy as possible and yeah. I want every part of my body working which for the most part my body's working better than it has in almost a decade. It feels like a win. Oh, no doubt. Did learn did getting here? I wouldn't even say learning, but did just getting here did, did that sort of affect the way you and Stephanie and the kids, like your your sort of home health practices, like did you were there were there changes to eating? Are there changes to the way that you kind of operate? Well, I mean, I've I've come through you know different parts of my um, of all of the health journey, and part of it was becoming plant based and. Stephanie did, and the boys are, and so we have an entire family that is uh, eating plant-based, and that took care of a lot of the pain that I was feeling. That's so great. And uh, incorporating exercise, and it's it's very much a part of 
Stephanie and I are 15 years apart, mm-hmm. and she has always said that she wanted to die around the same time. And I tried to remind her she's going to die alone because uh, I'm 15 years older and I've had a lot of health problems. So I was like, unfortunately, you are going to find my body in the house somewhere and then you're going to die alone. Oh and that's the reality. And she was like, but you could, you know, you should try at least. And then so now I, then I got on this kick since being with her yeah. where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to live to be 100. You're like, I'm going to live forever. No, she she wants to live to be 100, and that's her dream in life. And I said, so that means I have to live to be 115. Damn. And she was like, so you really need to work at it. So I've been really working at it to the point where I think I'm now driving her insane (laughs) because everything – I know the nutritional value in everything, and I know how that – you know, what part of the body it it's going to help if you eat this and this many servings. And oh, we wow. have, like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, you care for what you wish for. I want I'm not your going refrigerator anywhere. chart. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, you, I'll i give you a copy of it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm really not kidding. Yeah. No, pff, nor am I. <laughs> in fact, if I were not in comedy, I would be a nutritionist. I would work in that world. It fascinates me to no end. The That's science so of it all. Cool. Oh, my. It's, I, it is. I love it. Hopefully after this podcast, you'll get another book offer. Someone's going to be like, please write an irreverent How dare book. you even think that I haven't already gotten? Have you gotten that I mean, book offer? Please. I can't wait I don't have time. It. Can I pre-order it? No, I'm not, I'm not writing anything. I don't have time. It took me four years to write a book that you can read in one day. <laughs> I can't. It's, it's hard. I had an outline for a book sitting on my computer for the past two years, so I really understand you in this moment. Wonderful. It's yes. it's really ho- sort of awful. Yeah. The writing part. Yes. It's a slog. It is. Yeah. And I dropped out. I failed three grades and dropped out of high school and got a GED and my cat ate. <laughs> the fat cat ate the GED. Another cat. A different ate, cat. ate a quarter of it and I have it framed. <laughs> but I don't like to do work mm. like that. That's why I don't write jokes down. That's why mm. it takes me four years to write a book you can read sitting by the pool one day. But it's also the most rewarding. Finishing that book, I was like, I am something very special. Do your kids think you're funny? Um, When I try really hard. When I try really hard. Mm. And I also, when I'm trying hard, I feel like a, um, a hack. Mm. It's the hackiest side of me that they laugh at. What are you going to do? They're three and a half. Stephanie's the favorite in the house. Mm. Yeah. She thinks I'm funny. We cry laugh together. That's another win. It it really is. Yeah. So cool. Well, you have a tour coming up. I do. Which I think we should tell the people about. I'm pretty much always on tour. But I'm, I'm setting out in the new year on what I've decided to call the majorly minor market tour. <laughs> and actually, I believe Iowa City is on this tour. It might even be sold out, and it's months ahead of time. I think we have a mutual love for one another. It's like a really cute reunion. Yeah. Here I come, Iowa City. Yeah. But I'm also hitting um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, yo. Huntsville, Alabama. 
Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, Colorado Springs. I mean, you could go to my website and get these actual cities, but I think next weekend I'm going to be in Chattanooga. I'm going to be in Huntsville. I'm hitting majorly minor market. I like that. We'll put the link on the swipe up on our stories, guys, so you can It's all new material. It's a new hour of material. It's very fun. Yeah. And then you have a project coming up also that I'm very excited about. What can you tell us about First Ladies? Jennifer Aniston is playing the first female president of the United States, and I play the First Lady. My wife and I wrote the movie. So cool. We are producing it with Jennifer. We're big Hollywood types, even though I do go to minor markets to deliver jokes. You know what? I really like that you're egalitarian with Mm -hmm. your talent. You really offer it to everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, work with Jennifer Aniston, but I will absolutely swing by Huntsville, Alabama Uh to report back to Jennifer what is happening out there. Great. Or Jen, as we call her in her close circle. That's all I can really tell you. All right. I really can't tell you anything other than that. But other than uh, it's filming this year, I think in a few months. So cool. I think this summer we're going to start filming. So like anytime you need like a coffee or a matcha on set, just holler at your girl. Let me know. I'll come by. <laughs> Be like, that was that was very funny. Are you a Jennifer Aniston fan? I'm a, I'm a both of you fan. Oh, okay. So, great. And I'm also a big fan of The Premise. I'm an oat milk latte are you? Person. Uh-huh. I made myself one this morning, in fact. Oh. Sometimes I get a little, like, extra and go for a coconut milk latte. No. It just depends on the day. No coconut milk. Most of it's watery, but I have a brand that's very good. I'll sh- I'll send you the I do like link. taking a big knife and cracking open an, a coconut, though, yeah. and just drinking a coconut. But, I like that, And too. eating the meat. Yeah. It's really good. It's delicious. A lot of calcium, protein. Anyway. That chart. I can't wait for this chart. Mm-hmm. All right, I got one last question for you. The podcast is called Work in Progress. Yeah. And I'm curious what feels to you in this moment or this week or this year like a work in progress in your life? I, there's so many works in progress. I mean, my my health, my physical, but also, as I've mentioned, I mean, my wife and I, we laugh so hard together. We work together. We obviously live together. Mm. We have so much fun, but we also, in raising kids, it brings up a whole different level and world of stuff you've never gone through together Mm. and trying to navigate a partnership with people that have been raised differently. Having twins is, it's, it's. It's hilarious when somebody just has one child. <laughs> that's that's hilarious and mm. adorable. Anyway, that is a work in progress for myself and her with us as a couple mm. because we are really, we fumble and struggle through that. But what we have going for us is we do love each other so much. Mm. And it's a real work in progress. Mm. parenting and being a partnership. I mean, from marriage to writing together, we're about to direct a movie together. We're raising twins together. Um, But none of that even was anything to us, but like, this is fun and we have 
the same sensibility and we laughed so hard. But then these two little roommates of ours showed up. And then you go, wow, this is, this is a challenge. A whole other thing. It is such another thing. It's great. Yeah. And we have got it all. But it is hard. Yeah. Make no mistake. It is hard. Juggling that many balls is not easy. Yeah. But it looks fun. It's, it's a grand old time. That's so cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything, anyone. But man, is it, it's not a breeze. Yeah. It is not a breeze. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.